Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the mortal shell of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. pre-order the new Call of Duty to get the 1914 soundtrack pack for free. Oh god. Mm. Uh, oof. And I am the Black... And I am the Black Metal Guy, uh, a.k.a. I specifically requested my third inoculation via suppository. <laughs> I, I hear that. I hear that greatly multiplies its potency. Well, anything to anything to avoid the nostril test again. Um, <laughs> have you heard? I, I, I'm sorry. We've talked about this on the Discord. I've been talking shit about. It. Have you heard any of that new 1914 record that a lot of people oh, are talking about now? God, I might have checked them out years ago and been. Uh, pretty underwhelmed. Isn't it kind of like this sort of weird pastiche music? Like sludge um, with occasional blast beats? Oh, no. It, it's it's more like it's it's on Napalm Records, which is just the perfect fucking place for it. You know? there, there are, I mean, there are a number of these like World War One bands, and it's hard to keep track of which ones are good. Um, uh, I don't think, this... I think for the most part, they're not very good. No, for the most part, they're not. 1914 is like, um, remember last year, uh, we, we decided not to cover that new Panzerfaust record that was just yeah, this, like, yeah, yeah. pastiche of Maglaw and Behemoth? Yes. Um, it, it's, it's basically that. You know, it's, it's just every mass market band crammed together in a single space. It's, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is... Yeah, I mean, I'm the the Metal Archives page is pretty rough too. Mm, yeah, I, yeah, honestly, I can't believe these guys are Ukrainian. Somebody should be giving them wedgies. <laughs> it, it, it did kind of blow my mind when I realized that um, that they that U- Ukraine, the Finland of the East, is responsible yeah. for this. <laughs> uh, you think they'd at least know how to write a fucking riff here and there, but apparently not. Yeah. Um, so well, well beyond that, what have you? Well, should we should we listen to, to a nineteen fourteen track? Oh fuck! Oh god! Is that yeah. worth it for the lulls? Yeah, let's let's do it. And I I fucking know the one, uh, the one that yeah. was like the big single, um, mm-hmm. uh, called "And a Cross Now Marks His Place." Oh, sick! If we play this, we can get a copyright strike too. In addition to an <laughs> NHS get, warning, we get we get the copyright strike on literally everything we do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but pull this one up and just uh, let me see like where the. Okay, you gotta pull up the lyric video. It really adds to it. Um, All right. Just start it at like forty seconds. Okay. What? Wait. What's the song? Sorry, I was I was trying to make oh. a funny joke. Um. And a cross now marks his place. Um, okay, so it's the music video, and you want me to start yeah, where? The official lyric video. Start uh, forty seconds in. We'll just right. we'll run it until we can't stand it anymore, which will be pretty quick. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Wait. Do you want to run this as a reaction thing? What? Do you want to run this as a reaction thing, like run the clip under it? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's do that. You're gonna All love right. it, dude. Oh, All by, right, by the way, just a little, just a little prelude. I just want to say, I saw multiple people on online um, talk about, like, especially with the lyrics and everything, how powerful this was. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for uh, absolute power. 
absolute striking raw power. All right, three, two, two. one. I sincerely regret to inform you. Dude, like, well, that's bro, like the, the lyrics are taken. The lyrics are taken from an actual letter written to a mom, dude. It's not funny. <laughs> dude, I sincere. The only I sincerely regret to inform you is like a lyric that only Ruins of Babarast could make sound heavy. Yes. It's. Hey, hey, bro, did you know war is bad and tough? Oh, dude, this... <laughs> dude, this is sludge. Or it's, quote-unquote, atmospheric sludge. I don't fucking know. It's, 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 it's this horrible congealed mess of, like, everything. Yeah, yeah or it's a really slow Bama thread. Oh, man. It's, it's like... <laughs> There's people listening... <laughs> okay, and that's a lyric that um, that's a lyric that Axis of Advance could make sound heavy. Yes. <laughs> Damn. Oh man, you can imagine. Can you imagine all the? Can oh, you shit. imagine? Shit, the blast beats and the shelling. Oh man, that's like really good editing, dude. Dude. I got <laughs> okay, okay. I'm wrapping this. Right. Shit. Okay, yeah. I yeah, we gotta, we that. gotta. Um, can you imagine in your head the guys in behemoth shirts like, and this song's played live, and that's a seriously important moment for them emotionally. <laughs> that's like when they. That's like when they go off. That's that's that, that's, that's like, like when the when the push machine commences. That's like when they then they get home on Facebook and they feverishly write about like what a powerful experience it was to see 1914 open for fucking Amen. Halloween. You know, like, it's like, it's, uh, what a fucking absurd idea. Oh Jesus, uh, Ukraine. Y Ukraine doesn't always bat a thousand. I guess. <laughs> No, it's, um, all right, so. Good music. What have you been listening to lately? Well, you know, there's a weirdly a lot of through lines. I think tonight we've got kind of a shit posty show in general, and we've got some weird connective tissue between these bands. Um, I thought, we were trying to think, like, well, what the hell have I been listening to? Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff I've been listening to is just shit that we should eventually cover on bonus episodes. So, you know, I've actually been listening to it. Lots of Treldom, uh, Tillet on it, which is fucking sick. Uh, that for those of you who don't know, that's Gaul's band pre Gorgoroth, and it is insane shamanic pagan black metal uh, that anticipates a lot of stuff, but sounds like nothing around today. Um, and uh, I've been listening to like that and Gorgoroth and Sorin and shit. But um, aside from that, I don't know. Today I decided I was in a sort of sort of um, a specific kind of grim mood 
And uh, I, I listened to Amon Ra, who I've mentioned on the show a few times as an impossible influence or connection for things, and I don't think you know. Uh, I think I think you might have played a clip forever ago, but uh, I never mm. listened to them myself. I just know them as like related to other things. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like a. Uh, yeah, I, I actually okay. I just googled it. I don't think we did. Um, but um, it's so it, it's one of those things that's like so Euro in a genre that like that like it, it wouldn't be your immediate thing to go to. But um, it's. And it's it's in this nexus of quote unquote atmospheric sludge or post metal bands. I think what we should say now is that these genres don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, um, and there are. It's one of those things. I mean, we've kind of said that about doom metal before. That like doom metal is like six different genres, some of which actually belong in other genres. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and um. You know, if uh, Neurosis is kind of just the world's uh, most developed crust band, and, uh, you know, um, then I would say something like Amun-Ra or Isis is kind of just like, at, or the early early Isis or Amun-Ra is kind of like a really slow 90s hardcore. Um, and so this is, this is one of those bands that is like quite not great but quite good because the influences are pretty clear and they distill just one very specific feeling out of specific parts of these you could basically get everything these guys have done from just certain stuff in converge jane doe and before strictly jane doe and before certain stuff in uh early isis and stuff in neurosis like that's pretty much it um, and just like Slayer core in general and make it really slow. But um, what where they take that, they really emphasize the drone and they do that in a way that uh, creates some links to black metal uh, and relates, yeah, well, we'll just leave it there for now. That's that's the intro, intro spiel. And uh, let's uh, let's go to, Nemelendel for a better version of the riff you just heard from 1914. <laughs>
right, so what'd you make of that? I mean, it's cool. I mean, it, it reminds me of, I mean, like you said, it is kind of like Oceanic era ISIS or, I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to knock all that stuff now, but like, honestly, a lot of that stuff that was coming out in the mid 2000s, this sort of juxtaposition of, you know, uh, hardcore and sludge with little bits of post rock and, you know, art music stuff here and there really did make for some good albums. And that feels right in line with that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I I still swear by Oceanic. That's that's an awesome record. Uh, and um, this is uh, and the stuff before that is cool too. Although I don't know it as well. It's actually earlier ISIS is even more like this, right? This you can hear that this is kind of a more stripped down, ragged, uh, punky version of what ISIS was doing on Oceanic. Uh, and their mm-hmm. earlier stuff is a little like this. If you go back, I checked Mass... This is from their third record, Mass 3. I checked their second one today, and they're mm-hmm. like the 90s metalcore influences are like on the surface. Um, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it's like, it's pretty cool. I mean, and basically like they specialize in the crushingly obvious, right? They're like, here comes the riff. Yes, it's the <laughs> riff. Here is the bass. Yes, now the crash cymbal and the screaming. Ah, excellent, right? Um, <laughs> but it, it it works, and they get this specific thing that's kind of like, it's very brooding, but almost extroverted brooding. Like, uh, you know how those, like, like a really, like those kind of dynamic metalcore bands have this kind of clawing your way out of a pit of despair kind of vibe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this feels like more like the Euro-sensitive guy version of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and another funny thing about that riff, right, is you can tell, they, they all their riffs sound kind of like that. They do get an incredible amount of mileage out of, like, the same five notes played with octaves. Um, mm. The occupational hazard of that kind of riff is never accidentally writing Kashmir or Schism by Tool. <laughs> um, and you can hear them in that riff just dancing around both of those nimbly. <laughs> it's uh okay. And then here's here's one more. This is uh I want to see what you make of this. This is a uh, the question is um this is from their more they put one a new one out this year that I think is I haven't had a chance to really go through, but sounds a little more just like Atmo and Fluffy. But this mm. is from Mass 6 in 2017, and here's a more, here's a uh, indulgent moment toward the end of the record that is pretty memorable. The question is, do they pull it off? Mm-hmm. This is a, a solitary rain.
so what did you think of that? Um, I know what you mean, like, in terms of it being very indulgent, but, like, even without hearing the rest of the song, I'm guessing that there's a lot of a run-up and preparation for that. And yeah, it's it's more sensitive in Euro, but it's really not far off of what uh, what a band like Crowbar would do in kind of their most dramatic moments. So yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to say that I love it or anything, but it's definitely not something that's like leave the hall to me. You know, <laughs> word. No, I mean, I also think it's pretty pretty well done. It's like, I mean, you know that I am allergic to auto tune. Right, especially uh, especially weapons grade auto tune like that, right? But it's I don't know actually. The normalization of auto tune as like default singer sound in pop is is pretty bad. Maybe that's worse. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the idea of using auto tune there is hilarious. He does a <laughs> decent. They, they do a pretty cool thing with it, blending it with other stuff. Um, yeah, and, and that, that chorus hits a few times on the song, but it's towards the end of the record. I do think it's well prepared for. Uh, and once you've heard it, it's it's so, like, over the top that once you've heard it, you, you will you will not forget it, you know? It's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing it's an earned part, and I'm guessing there's a lot of, like, gnarly stuff on that record to probably make up for it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and a thing for our fans... Or do we have fans? Let's say listeners, Terminators. Uh, I don't know about fans. Um, we, we, uh, we greet, when we go out in public and people <coughs> recognize us, we greet them with a firm handshake, not a picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we only have battle brothers. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, so... Uh, the, a band that you might hear mentioned more often on this show is Vega Dude, who are the uh, who share one or two members with Aminra. Uh, uh, looks like they no, used to. I think that I think they're not sharing anyone anymore. Oh, they played live in Aminra and then they left it. Okay, the, uh, but um, they're part of the same circle though. So yeah, Vega Dude is an you know excellent, very modern black metal band that started as kind of like hyper intense blasting post black and you can hear Vega dude taking that kind of uh post metal or ugh, sorry I canceled that word um uh uh slow 90s hardcore octave drone and uh using it as a basis for black metal for black metal so they develop it towards stuff that works kind of like that in BM like Marduk or Hate Forest or whatever and uh if you haven't heard them they're fucking awesome uh, have you heard anything off the new record? The singles that have come out? Oh no. Is it, uh, not so good? I have concerns. Hey all This is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus! Alright. And we are back with Chimera by Frenolith. Out now on Nuclear Winter, which is a very small, uh, maybe not new label exactly, but a very small label uh, headed by the dude from Dead Congregation, uh, which immediately places Frenolith in a kind of a time and a scene, right? Uh, Dead Congregation were kind of the heroes of like high, not not like 
uh, not like cavernous incantation worship, but like high speed, aggress, very fast, aggressive incantation based uh, death metal, blasting death metal. They were kind of like one of the first bands to really do the incantation worship thing in the new wave. Yeah, and I think from what I remember, they were quite. It was it was pretty impressive stuff. It was, it's good. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grace of the Archangels is a great record. Yeah, fast, aggressive, um, catchy. Uh, and um, they, and so that, that that's a whole era of of stuff. And you know, their their earlier Frenolith's last record was 2017, and it came out on the tail end of this period when there were these different strains of incantation worship. And the other one, the kind of uh, cavernous one, is represented by their old label, Dark Descent. All right, so their 2017 record, which is. Uh, a desolate endscape was a was a dark descent thing um so they've so very much a product of this earlier i guess what is it teens earlier teens scene um uh in i remember their last record and, and it's been a while because there was a lot of hype around it and at first i was like oh boring sounds like incantation but you know a bunch of my friends liked it so i checked it out and i decided that it sort of uh one one out by pure sort of uh you know uh just by the performance right it was played very aggressively and was just just sounded good and heavy uh um and i i think to really figure out what what they're doing on camera we should probably just recap something from desolate endscape because i can barely remember how it sounds and i want to make sure that I rem that they sound like I've just described. So let's just you know, second track is usually a safe bet. Let's go with uh, the whole. We'll listen to Deluge of, Deluge of Ashes, and it's a short one, so we'll just go with the whole thing.
That was pretty sick. Yeah, that was pretty good, actually. Yeah, so I think something we both noticed going through that is that it is a lot more like Morbid Angel than I remembered. Yeah, definitely you can hear the uh, you can hear the incantation comparison like the, the bulk of the verses, but the way things get kind of tied off at the ends of phrases and you know some of the wonkier sounding harmonic ideas are definitely like Covenant era Morbid Angel. Oh yeah, some of that steep slowdown breakdown stuff is even towards the beginning of the song is very Morbid Angel. Big slide know, riffs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, a thing that, I guess, marks them as doing this well here is it's it's very tuneful. Um, it really is kind of centered on that kind of melodic, you know, default extreme metal scale, right? Melodic minor, but done quite well with some atmosphere and inflection. But there's also a good use of really nasty chromatics of a kind that you wouldn't get in black metal and choppy, aggressive rhythmic punctuation that you wouldn't get in black metal, right? Is that a fair mm. characterization? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know... Those the, kind of slithering, sli especially those slithering downward sliding trem riffs and some of, the, like, the really obscene double bass fills under that. that like, those, some of those passages at the beginning of the track I really liked. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, we always talk about, you know, what's, uh, as as death metal in recent years has trended more and more toward doing black metal things, what's the thing that death metal retains? Well, it's, you know, intense kind of rhythmic variation and complexity. And certain, like, willful maximalism and ugliness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so that definitely has that, and then... The back of the track gets a little more atmospheric, but it's not really directly drawn from BM. If anything, it seems more like kind of directly drawn from goth rock in the way that Akrakok did. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think the things that persist from this record onto Chimera are that kind of gothy atmospheric stuff coupled with the big influence from Morbid Angel's Covenant. Yeah, but, to to a degree. Or it reminded me a lot of Covenant. Um, however, however, not a lot else persists, and it doesn't sound like Covenant. No, because you always have to remember Covenant is like an insanely aggressive record. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in contrast... It's also of, like one of your favorite records of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of days where if you held a gun to my head, I would say it's my favorite Morbid Angel record. Um, mm -hmm. Chimera, on the other hand, is possibly the least aggressive death metal album I've ever heard. It is kind of fascinating in that it features blast beats and growls and heavy tremolo riffs, but it does not convey any sort of, like, abrasion or intensity i guess it's it's very odd did you get that vibe yeah i mean as i told you before the show you know i was curious what you thought of this because you know there's something that isn't it you know i think we both found that it sort of whizzed by mm -hmm. and at and to a certain degree, this is because it's, it's highly listenable music, and it sustains a certain mood. It's pretty good at the tunefulness on the Frenolith is played up still more, 
but it definitely sounds like death metal, but it's a specific scowling, moody kind of uh, doing black metal with death metal means thing. Like, kind of like, a bit like the kind of mood that you'd get on Sepulchral Curse, especially in the kind of middle of that record from last year, or maybe some of the Hessian Firm stuff. But done in a much more kind of... uh, kind of straight ahead way it's um, very streamlined and all the rough edges have been sanded yes. way off highly streamlined and um there's I, I didn't the funny thing is i didn't even really pick up on the lack of aggression per se when i heard it but as soon as you said it that makes sense and the thing that i picked up on is just um especially when we compare it with that last sample right it's like when they're on Desolate Enscape, they sound quite excited to be bashing the shit out of their instruments, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the Chimera, Chimera does not sound excited. Um, and the, there's kind of weird stuff going on with the riffing, where there are a bunch of good ideas, but deployed in kind of frustrating ways. There's this. This is an. This is a very frustrating album to talk about. This is an album that does nothing wrong per se mm-hmm. but it is also like we were talking before the show so this is a this is a pretty short record this is just over half an hour and I, I after I listened to it for the first time I had to put it on again immediately just because like it just blew past me the first time I was just like I was like trying to concentrate and listen on it but it, my attention just kept slipping away you know and usually you know there's Things that kind of, like, snap you to attention, especially in a death metal record, there's a big dramatic moment or something, but mm-hmm. it, it feels like those have been almost deliberately excised to create this very steady, very smooth continuum of sound. Dude, atmospheric death metal, bro. Is this is this atmo death? Is this post It, it death? must be. You know, the, <laughs> thing that it's, the thing that it's a little bit like, although in a kind of opposite way, is Sulfur Aeon. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get that definitely. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's it, this Where is. Sol- but Sulfur Aeon has massive, like massive, sort of shameful hooks, right? You, you'll sort of like you'll be like you'll you'll be like this is sick, um, and feel like really dirty. Um, is, whereas is this, this does not have people... that kind of engaging. Is this ulcerate for people <laughs> who are too old school for ulcerate? Oh, interesting. Is this, is this what happens when you want, like, kind of arty, like, upper middle brow death metal, but you you still can't stand, like, keyboards and, and, and mm-hmm. fucking, like, or, noise or, rock interludes and shit? Or lots of, lots of weird notes. Yeah, yeah, um, it's like, it, it's, well, I was saying, I was also saying before the show, it's like, you know, it's, I mean, so the, the whole dark descent sound is something I've never really been into. Um, I understand that it had its place uh, and there was like a utilitarian quality to it in like the late 2000s to early 2010s of like, okay, let's get back to, let's get back to incantation. Let's get back to kind of more highbrow Euro death metal, like Finnish death metal, stuff like that. It definitely had its place. My thing was I didn't find most of it especially interesting. Um, Because, you know, the the sense that I always got from it is like, 
if if there were a lot of bands in Brooklyn in that era that were um, art kids trying to impress metalheads, this felt like a lot of metalheads trying to impress art kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and it, and it worked because by the latter, oh, yeah. by the teens, you started to get all those triangle bands. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the you fucking can, triangles. Yes. Right. You can see how, like, the the whole sort of uh, there's a whole kind of fancy, uh, highly polished uh, Euro festival uh, black death metal scene that is influenced partly by like Orthodox BM and partly by Dark Descent, and you know some of the some of that has matured into the better examples of the Ortho Cavern sound, and some of that has remained in the Triangle Zone. Yeah. Um, so I guess so, I guess ultimately what I'm saying about this is that there's, I'm sure there is an audience that this appeals to, mm-hmm. but I just find it really weird and sort of just like intensely unexciting, which is not a good place for a death metal record to be. Like death metal is supposed to be exciting and like immediately yeah. engaging, and I don't think that's what this is going for. And you know what? Maybe that's the thing. Maybe I just don't really get it but it feels like the style they are playing in is at cross purposes with their objective musically you know yeah okay so we should do some sampling let's go to um uh here's from early in the record uh this is um chimerian offspring part one just right from the beginning track is it's just like such a it's 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 such a tease 
Um, like, it starts out with this kind of big speed metal-y death metal riff of a kind that I think used to be common, like, when I was a kid, but that, like, has completely disappeared. Would who do you associate that like? Is that like a behemoth thing? <laughs> it's like, it's it, dude. It's it's nothing. It's 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 not a riff. It's a fucking well, exactly. It's half it's, of it's half of an idea. No, this is the thing. This is the thing. It starts. The song starts with that, and I think, okay, this is the preliminary version of a massive speed metal death metal riff that is going to show up in immediately or later in the song. The weird thing is, they go on to do something uh, it never does. The rest of the track is built around basic intervals from rhythms from that first riff. You can hear that in the sample I selected, that riff occurs once in a transition in exactly the same role it plays at the beginning, maybe with rolls under it instead of blasts. And then at the very end of the track, they just play that little lick again, and the song ends. Um, and, and and what they do throughout is it's, it's like this, it's, it's like a sophisticated technique employed against itself. They're like, yes, we are going to develop the whole song out of this initial motif. But the problem is that all of the riffs that are built from it are worse than it, and the real version of that riff never materializes. And so, if the goal of a death metal track is to be heavy, ripping, and exciting, it does not succeed in that. It's it is fascinating, like you know, concentrating on it, like with the specific timestamps, mm-hmm. because it's like, Jesus Christ, there's like two riffs over the course of half the song that we just played. They're worked around the fretboard, and you'll have like, ooh, this is the kind of doomy version and stuff, but melodically, there's nothing happening. Dude, at the end, right, at the end, we got the trem, the sort of dissection-y trem version, dissection, or a couple songs on Covenant trem version, right? The sort of... Right, they blasted it for a while. And then they just drop to the breakdown, and the breakdown isn't even a variation on it. It's just eight more reps of the same thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, what, what does this materially sound like? I think that a lot of this record sounds like dismember, like, heard through a wall. You know? It's like... Whoa, that's... Huh. Oh, I which, guess I guess that's a little... Well, that intro... I guess I hear what you mean. It's a little bit like the override to the overture lead. Or, well, I mean, I mean that would be the most obvious example, but, like, those kinds of, like, little just flickering kind of speed death metal things were all mm-hmm. over early Dismember. But the thing is, Dismember would, like, they would take that and they would turn into a really elaborate, really long lead line that would be this whole kind of suite of melodic ideas before the song would start proper. Um, here they just they'd took also the first have, four seconds and <laughs> looped it. <laughs> they'd also have charging head through the wall D beats. Yeah, exactly. That's why Dismember is the like, best Sweet Death band. <laughs> yes, rhythmically it's completely different from this. So, and some of these guys, right, are in a pretty pretty solid Sweet Death type band, right? They're in Undergang. Yeah, yeah. Undergang is like pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. 
Under Gang is Under and, and he is says that as someone who he says that as someone who hates Swedish death metal. So oh yeah, uh, Under Gang yeah. Under Gang is like the the parallel universe version of Grave that I like basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's just like deliberately moronic bit crushed HM2 DB death metal, but it's like it's it's pretty fucking good for what it is. Here it's just like. I mean that you know what that really sounds like. That whole song sounds like a jam session gone terribly wrong. It's like, ooh, oh, like the ooh. Gu- yeah. You know what I mean though. It's like the guitar yeah, is like, it's like, oh man, I got this kind of like cool lick that I'm working on. He starts playing it. The drummer keeps going, and it's like, okay. And then before you know it, the song is done, quote unquote. And they're like, fuck it, no, no need to go back over that, boys. We're we're done. We struck gold with this one. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear what you mean. Okay, well, let me let me do a, a different sample. So, the thing is, there's like flickers of kind of cool things that happen across this record. So, we're gonna go to a song called "Gorgon Head," um, which has an interesting kind of subtle expand contract thing happening, an almost grind style thing early on in this sample. It's just from right in the middle of the song, and then you're gonna get some kind of conventional sort of dark descent style tremolo riffs but some of the more solid ones on the record so there is good stuff here but i think what we're getting at is a lot of the big problems here are structural in nature Mm -hmm. um because as much as i like some of the individual pieces that are happening on the sample the song just never really goes anywhere sort of like the last one so let's check this out and I'll, i'll get into it a little bit more half of that sample there's a lot of stuff that i like going on i mean i'm not going to say those are like brilliant riffs but they're pretty good they're getting they're getting moved around and varied enough they're not they're not being beaten into the ground eight times in a row so there's there's variation going on there's some rhythmic play going on some interesting kind of speed up slow down stuff occurring 
that's all pretty cool. But then it all kind of gets derailed in the back half of that sample, and it's like, ooh, okay, now we're going to sync and just play with these same couple riffs over and over again. And it's that's the consistent thing across this record, is it's, it's that it's motionless. Not even the sense of, like, Oh, we, the band's going around in circles structurally. It's like it's never going anywhere. It just sinks. You know? Yeah, I, I get that. Like, so, I mean, a part I found the highlight there would be, I mean, there was a lot of things happening very quickly at the beginning of the sample, and it was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, something pretty cool was just after the two-minute mark, around 2, 10, or 12, you're, you're getting these sort of like, I mean, I would almost hear them as kind of immolation these kind of like double bass and tom rolls with uh and then like this kind of just the, the drumming is, and the rhythm fig rhythmic figures mm-hmm. is immolation uh with this kind of like squiggling incantation he leads over the top kind of frantic and you get a really good uh you know uh over the top of that and like that's that's intensity you can hear some focus there and yeah. it uh and, and you know some 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 scorn and stuff and then it sort of it drops and that dum bum bum dum 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 you know that part is pretty heavy but then instead of playing that like four times right they play it eight times and it goes from kind of breakdown to almost the death metal equivalent of the dreaded beatdown trudge riff mm-hmm. um and it keeps going and then when they try to crank it up and bring back the vocals again after that they can right, never after, recapture after, the momentum exa- no it literally feels like they're forcing it like they're dragging the song uphill and it's in fact what happens they do another one of those sort of like escalating roll things and it feels like they're pushing the melody uphill in a like a sisyphus kind of way and then they get to the top and they just drop down into the same dumb, 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 dumb thing from the breakdown they just needed to escape from. That's uh, the thing. Is like no, there's like no riffs on this record that can sustain themselves longer than four repetitions. Th- that seems very fair. Um, yeah, and so what you would need to get out of that part, right? The only way you could earn playing that riff for that long would be just Im- just <laughs> you have to crank up the adrenaline. You just just start blasting, like play anything over it, but you have to start blasting or something, right? Uh, I'm and- I'm starting to also think that one of the crucial issues with this album is the production, which is so kind of like remote and quiet yes. and muffled and soft. You know, there's there's no abrasion on this whatsoever. Like, uh, there's no harshness to it. But, you know, kind of getting back to the idea of, you know, repeating riffs, um, do you think this music would be more sustainable if they just kind of cut everything in half and just made, like, kind of wonky two-and-a-half-minute death metal songs? God. Um, well, that does set up my next sample quite well. Uh, you weren't supposed to say it. It was such a good set. <laughs> I give you the perfect segue, and you have to lampshade it for no, the whole no, fucking no. I audience. Was, I was doing the segue. That was the segue, buddy. Um, <laughs> look. Um, all right. The, it turns out that the lampshade was the segue we were looking for the whole time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's that, but it's literally about a lampshade and a, and a scooter. Anyway, um, so... Uh, uh, this next one is called is Cockatus. Um, 
and but spelled in the ancient Greek riff, uh, and it is very short, so we're going to listen to the whole damn thing. So, okay, so when you cut it down to two and a half minutes, it just becomes half a song. Yeah, like, so, and the funny thing, like, and that's the, and I think as far as things that have, like, memorable melodies, if you listen, I've listened to this record, like, three or four times, probably, that is the track you'll remember. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of, um, that sort of, uh, you know they do that kind of simple morbid angel riff and then turn it more epic on the second half okay that's a fine idea um they do that kind of doom down 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 right okay that that mm-hmm. kind of big big majestic thing works pretty well it's kind of like uh mount sinai moloch or some ruins of everest thing um all right i, I accept that that's cool but that song has uh you know, then it's got that dum 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 dum. I'm really out of tune today, or I'm, I'm just like humming the wrong notes, um, especially wrong notes. Um, but that kind of thing that's just scale runs down is not a very good riff, right? But um, 
But the track is basically those three riffs, and it just cycles back on itself in exactly the same way as the other songs do, right? So it it's like, if this were going to work, it would have to go somewhere from the end of the track. Like, okay, those big melodic arpeggiated riffs are like, pointing us towards the vast ruined citadel or something right but Mm -hmm. it's like it's like we see it's like we see the vast ruined citadel but it's not actually an accessible map feature yeah it's um, (laughs) it's a it's a it's a it's a texture on the skybox (laughs) oh man well okay so real quick last one so i i really do think that Okay, melodically, most of this record isn't exciting, but it's serviceable. But mm-hmm. I'm starting to think one of the crucial issues that's like afflicting so many of these riffs is like a complete lack of rhythmic variation. And don't don't confuse <laughs> don't confuse when they slow it down and do the doom version with the held chords yeah. for rhythmic variation. That's that's a fucking cop out, you know. Um, I'm talking about riffs with like real internal rhythmic gestures too yeah uh which i think is kind of crucial for good death metal um so let's go to chimerian offspring part two um it because you know that that's what that's what wraps it up that's what turns it into an epic i guess is when you have a part two um so we'll go uh, about uh, you know two three minutes in so you're going to hear, again, a bunch of riffs that are not bad, but you're going to hear lots of, we've got the dark melodic phrase, now let's play it a step down to make it darker. Um, and what is the... Uh, yeah, this, top of the pops, boys. Um, and you know where we used to hear that? In stock black metal records in the mid-2000s.
You know how sometimes you'll talk about, like, lead phrases that are, um, you know, kind of like searching or groping toward where they're supposed to move? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Until this point, I had never heard that in a four-note death metal riff. Yeah, so you're talking about the, uh, the what, what struck me where there was the contrast between the blasted riff at the beginning and then mm-hmm. the mid-tempo ones following. The blasted riff at the beginning is the first, like, complete riff on the album. I was going to say, that is the first, we're in the last track, and that's the first time I'm like, oh, this is the same band that wrote the first album. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. although there are a bunch of surface characteristics and interval choice and, you know, whatever influences that link it to the first one, it almost doesn't sound like the same band. That first riff, right? Okay, great. Excited, clear-cut blast riff, lots of good wild variation in intervals like big leaps uh strange chromatics that actually do the incantation thing okay you can hear how these guys are scions of dead congregation or whatever and there was some really cool sort of like tripping fills on the drums under that where it's Mm -hmm. like oh so and the riff even and because the riff has that exaggerated squiggly form okay there's some internal rhythmic variation even in the riff and in the drumming and then it's immediately like they hit the suck pedal right and drop halftime yeah. I think um I think that if you get all the way to the end of your record and what you've got to offer after your big drop is dun 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 fuck it man I'm going out for a smoke.
sooner he is exterminated, the better. Boys and girls, we are back, and what better way to close out the evening than with a slab of <laughs> grueling, sadistic funeral doom. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in a in an extremely surprising release uh, that basically was just announced as it was coming out uh, about a month ago, we have the second full-length record by Stabat Mater, titled Treason by the Son of Man. Um, Stabat Mater is one of the many projects of Miko Aspa. Um, it has been around for about 20 years now, and uh, I've mentioned them in passing on the show a few times, and in a little bit more detail in our uh, Torture Doom bonus episode. Uh, again, second episode in a row. I forgot to do any housekeeping. I have uh, social media. Shit. We're real underground now. We don't talk about that anymore. Um, so, uh, Stop It Matter is a very extreme, very unique funeral doom band. Uh, and this is only the second full-length record that's been released under that project's name. Uh, Stop It Matter had a history of... Uh, did a bunch of splits in the mid-2000s. First full length was in 2009, self-titled Wonderful Record, and then it basically laid dormant until now, apart from a compilation release in 2016 of a lot of previously recorded material. Um, so this is unsurprisingly released on Northern Heritage, uh, Miko Aspa's label. And uh, yeah, first new record, first new material by Stop Amater in 12 years, uh, just comes out of nowhere and here it is. Um, so, uh, you um, you don't have any exposure to Stop Up Modder except for the little bit that I played on the Torture Doom episode, right? Yeah, which I cannot remember. Oh, yeah. Well, that was just extremely oppressive, kind of droning, just trudging funeral Doom stuff. 
I love it, but obviously that is an yeah. acquired taste. Um, and I thought this record would sound like that, right? I thought this was going to be an extremely focused torture doom genre exercise focused on being, uh, you know, grueling and hideous, right? In a mm-hmm. way that maybe I could approve. I would say, I would say, death metal guy, this is this is horrible and you would say that's why i fucking love it and i'd say good point well uh, <laughs> understood have a nice day um yes uh, uh and and that would be the review but instead uh i listened to this and i really liked it yeah well it, you know it's kind of interesting because you know i talked about stop Mata within the context of torture doing it in this kind of like chronological study of that little niche style but what i didn't really talk about was how the project developed after that really early material um stop up modder was definitely within that niche early on but then branched off and kind of started doing its own thing um the the big one that i would say uh would be uh, the stop up modder track on the crushing the holy trinity split uh that you know that six-way one with uh death spell omega and it has oh. the first mcglaw material um, oh yeah, so that 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 had stop at Mater too. Yeah, that had stop at Mater's above him on it, which is honestly probably top ten funeral doom songs of all time. It's an absolutely incredible track. Um, and for those of you listening who may not be familiar with this, uh, torture doom is a sub sub genre of funeral doom. So this is both a torture doom and a funeral doom band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if for for the for the for the twenty people that remember torture doom as a thing, well, we've got a three hour episode for you guys. So give us money on the Patreon, you can listen to it. Actually, no, fuck that. That that one's free now, so you guys can just go listen to it. Yeah, that one's that one's publicly available now. Um, so yeah, Stama Monitor evolved and became this fascinating, uh, very. Well, it's, it's challenging to describe because there's a lot of sounds within Stabat Mater. Um, you have extremely oppressive, dense, kind of torturous and noisy doom stuff. But you also have this, like, incredibly, like, powerful yet sorrowful lead guitar-driven stuff. Um, and both of those sounds are present on this record and a lot of the times interacting with each other and sort of in conflict and resolution with each other throughout these these three very long songs um i mean how would maybe it's a little easier from the outside how would you describe this in terms of you know people that aren't like weird funeral doom autists like me like what's a good way to describe this music well um I mean, yeah, okay, well, maybe if I can't... I was going to use the word funeral doom. I was going to say, if the torture doom tag didn't exist, right? Let's say at least most of our listeners are probably at least familiar in passing with uh, skepticism or uh, or um, the uh, Thurgathon, right? Or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so you could just call this raw funeral doom. Mm-hmm. Um in that it has the it's it has the fully metalized quality you get on both Stormcrow Fleet and on the latest skepticism. That is, a lot of these riffs are um 
anchored in chugs, but it also very, but it it rarely delves into ugliness for the sake of ugliness, um, and it uh, often kind of opens up into moments of sort of monumental beauty, right? Uh, yeah. And um, even, yeah, even the chugging stuff, I would say, for the most part, isn't ugly, per se. It's just powerful and driving in a way that surprised me. But, like, raw compared to, say, the sound on Skip. Well, okay, the Stormcrow Fleet is kind of raw in its own way. But, it's you know, it's a thinner, more more torture-doomy tone. As far mm-hmm. as the wing of torture-doomy to align this with, it would have to be the Tomb of the Ancient King type thing, right, with Worm Flem. Yeah. Where it's yeah, it's more tuneful, tuneful and riff oriented, but you could equally compare this to uh, something like Ruins of Everest, I think, in terms of the general scope that's being explored and the mood. I think scope is a really important word for these mm-hmm. songs. Um, I mean, just because this review is going to feature some of the longest samples we've ever had on the show, but it, they. They necessarily have to be because so much of what makes these songs interesting and unique is about the structural scope of them, about the the, the sort of agonized process of returning to motifs and exploring different dimensions of ideas. This is a this is actually a very intricate and complex record. Even if you know moment to moment it just sounds like funeral doom, the actual arrangement of these songs is really sophisticated, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they seem like they could have been written over a very long time. It's been 12 years. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. the first one. I mean, the first one, I mean, so basically half of this record is dominated by the first track, By the Seed of the Sun, which is 18 minutes long and sounds like it was a multi-year ordeal to write. Um, because I think I remember saying on the Torture Doom episode that I've tried to write music like this and it is incredibly difficult to get your brain as a songwriter to operate in scales this long when you're used to working in five minute increments you know Um, it gets exponentially harder the more time you add on to it you know, especially as you try to keep up a, a certain level of complexity and intricacy within the songwriting itself, but Miko really pulls it off um, in an amazing way. You know, creating these these full narrative, almost cinematic experiences within these very long time frames. Yeah. So here, let's go to uh, "By the Seat of the Sun." Then this is. Uh, Three minutes and 33 seconds in, uh, uh, and it is, uh, the song is 18 minutes, so that definitely counts as the beginning of the song, um, (laughs) and, uh, um, this will highlight the thing, so, a, a thing that if you follow the show you might know about me is that I'm not a big fan of certain kinds of plotting, really spaced out chord, uh, avant doom stuff whether it's torture doom or you know con eight or shit like that mm-hmm. you know the stuff that's just like chung chung you know mm-hmm. uh um this doesn't even approach that and um 
So here's some of the chugging stuff. There's the, the there's all this rhythmic spaces opened up by the slow tempos, and he's very often feeling it. Well, he's always filling it in in meaningful ways, and he's very often filling it in with like kind of aggressive chug. So uh, here you're gonna hear him uh, laying down the basic pattern, and then he builds it up through, I think, two variations.
this is what, what you can hear there from the beginning uh, is the mutes really depend on this kind of like half muted octave drone. Uh, mm -hmm. You immediately traced that to a funny source that I hadn't thought of. <laughs> oh, I said, well, you like this part because it sounds like high on fire. It was interesting. Yeah. When, I, when I listened to this record, I knew you were going to sample that. <laughs> I just knew yeah. it immediately because because that is a very that's like a um like a like a stoner metal thing almost the uh syncopating the strum onto the upbeat rather than the downbeat um and as well as the the sort of exaggerated like uh slowed down kind of swing time fills at the end of the repetitions uh it, you know th there's there is a reason to have a real drummer in this style of music because mm -hmm. you can do stuff like that. Yeah. So is he, does he have a drummer now or is this uh totally one man? Well, Miko is a drummer. I mean, like, okay. a, oh, like in, no, I know, I know he also yeah. drums. Yeah. yeah. And clandestine blaze. He does all his own drums for that. I don't know if he does drum machines for anything. I think he takes pride yeah. in doing his own drums for all of his uh, one man projects. No, I know he drums. I was wondering if there was a drummer he was playing with. Um, it's uh, but um, it looks like it's just him. So um, so about that initial drone riff, right? So you thought high on fire. I think that is right, and especially yeah, that kind of like drawn out, taut syncopation there. Um, I couldn't, I can't count, so I couldn't distinguish between the upbeat and the downbeat. But um, uh, the uh. Not entirely true, but in that context, I'm just like, ah, uh, it, uh, it sounds Well, you good. can hear how it's um, like, it's a little bit behind the drum beat, you know, the strum. Yeah, yeah, they're doing the stretchy thing, um, or he's doing the stretchy thing. But the funny thing is, it also really sounds a lot like that Amon-Ra tracks, the track that we sampled at the beginning of the show. It So it, it sounds like High on Fire and sort of sludge stuff, and it also sounds like the more kind of droning textured stuff that also got called sludge at that time like the earlier isis stuff or like neurosis or amonra um and so it's really tapping into a sense of um heavy groove that is not only kind of alien from this niche neck of extreme doom metal uh, it's it's kind of a whole different neck of the woods entirely, um, and then the way he develops that, it it sort of turns into you can hear something that we heard and were really interested on the last clan, clandestine blaze record, right? Which we quite which came out earlier this year and we quite liked, uh, mm -hmm. which is that Miko seems to hear Celtic Frost as a second wave black metal band. Um, yeah. Or to hear all, he does not do the thing where you put them in the first wave ghetto or something. Like, uh, and so as the riff gets more textured and he starts to, um, it starts to have more of a triplet, of this sort of rolling triplet feel in it. Um, gets a little more intense and it gets a little more, it's not just the octaves now, it's not just root and octave ringing, right? We're at like, he's starting to do those sort of like, you know, two or three, two string chord partials that make a black metal riff, right? Um, as he starts to do that, right, it's like, oh, this is a little, like, sort of BM sounding. And then at the end of the phrase, he just does these monster bends, mm -hmm. right? And a really cool thing that I didn't notice till till we were listening again 
is that uh, he'll do those bends, like, he'll do it, like, once after the first rep, and then maybe, like, bend twice after the second, and then, like, four times or something. Just, just keep pushing it out, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's crushing. I mean, I was, like, headbanging when I was listening to that. Um, and eventually, I sort of had the whole chronology of this thing wrong, and this is, I guess, testifies to what you meant about the difficult structures here. I thought it then immediately built up to a more epic kind of clandestine blaze sounding riff. It does not. It drops back to the original sort of single note octave drone. And then he starts doing the uh, sort of black metal bendy riff again. And finally, just at the end of that sample, he starts ascending a little bit higher on the fretboard, and suddenly you get some minor six in there or whatever, and you get a bit of that sort of clandestine blaze sort of, you know, dark majesty vibe. And then he bends it again. Bow! And then I, I told I told Death Metal Guy to keep running the sample for a minute because I, I wanted to get another rep of that riff. He just goes back to the last variation. He does, I think, well, maybe he does the epic riff twice and I missed the first iteration, but I, I'm not sure. Basically, if you really start looking at it, it becomes dizzying and it becomes like sort of fractal structure or something. Oh, well, I mean, something that's like very hard to tell the first couple times you listen to this album. I've, I think I listened to this like three or four times before this review. Mm -hmm. But even now, listening to this... I was listening to it like on my commute the other day, of, mm -hmm. of all things. <laughs> what a dismal way to start your work day. Jesus Christ. Um, well, you always remember that your work, you know, maybe that's why work has been a bit better for you this week. It feels better in comparison. <laughs> comparison to listening to stuff up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, um, one thing that I just realized listening again to the specific section is that every time he's playing that riff, he's he's modifying the chords that he's using every single time mm -hmm. the, he's transforming the nature of the riff it's like there's some he's always starting with this root chord this simple like octave mm -hmm. chord that yeah. he's using yeah, but yeah. then he's throwing in different intervals when he modifies the chords afterwards so it's like you'll have one take that's like you know a little bit more sorrowful you'll have one that's a little bit more dissonant and aggressive you know, it's it's fascinating. He's building a narrative even within this this structure that at first blush sounds extremely repetitive. You know, extremely mm -hmm. kind of trudging. But no, there's there's a world of things happening even within that section that is basically just the same thing structurally over and over again. Yeah, um, I I could hear some of that variation. Uh, that he was doing. I didn't realize it was on every single version of those textured chords, but that is that is cool. Um, and there's something about the time scale that allows you to do that too, right? If you're writing down the line riff-based black metal, it actually might sound kind of weird to have a variation on every single rep of the riff. Yeah. Um, but uh, when a rep it, takes 30 seconds to get through, <laughs> you know, you can it becomes a statement it. in it. And when they're sort of separated off by those bends... It becomes kind of yeah a statement in itself um it's like oh that <laughs> it's like the riff sequence is actually like the four bars of chug um mm -hmm. rather than like the riff itself anyway um so 
Uh, so yeah, it also has this similarity. I guess we've already sort of talked about it to these kind of droning uh, things, droning things that should not be called post-metal or atmospheric sludge. So just like slow hardcore. Uh, droning slow hardcore. Um, that becomes, and it might seem like a weird stretch connection, but like listen to the beginning of the next track, Embracing the Slavery. Which I, I think at this point, you know, thinking back on knowing what we're about to play, these samples, this might be one of my favorite songs of the year. Possibly the... This is an incredible achievement, this song. This this is possibly the best Stop on Otter song next to Above Him. That, you know, that makes sense to me. I was also floored by this. I mean, the album in general was just a really uh, pleasant, unpleasant surprise. And this track... <laughs> This track is definitely just massive. Uh, it should, mm, you know, yeah. it it should have some sort of year-end status in itself. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so, let's listen to the beginning of Embracing the Slavery. Okay, so pretty cool sinister turnaround at the end there. Uh, <laughs> but before that, what I mean, the first time I heard that, I was like, what the fuck? Like, that sounds like a clean interlude passage on early aughts Isis, or uh, even like something like Godspeed. The guitar parts in Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Um... And I think, like, I didn't even notice the octave droning on the chug riffs the first time through. And then I, when I went back to the sample, I was like, oh, okay, like, this makes sense. I thought I was stre- I thought that was a weird stretch connection, right? But I, mm. I swear, that stuff is some kind of influence here. Um, but what makes it different? Well, even if we just isolate this phrase, um, it's got a shape to it that is mm-hmm. specifically metallic. It uh, it's it's multiple phrases, and it resolves in a way that is uh very strong. Um, dun, 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 dun. um uh, it's a long, slow, extreme metal riff, and oh, if yeah. you, and if you, although it has that kind of grandiose epic vibe too, 
long, slow, extreme metal riff. And if you really sort of listen carefully, you can already hear a version of this that is just blasted and trimmed out or mm-hmm. just pounded out with power chords or whatever, right? Um, and yeah, so if, the you, w- if, you, if you did a trem version on a long black metal song, that would be the climactic moment of that song, you know? Yeah, and it might even sound kind of like into oblivion or something, like a more yeah. a more melodic moment on there, right? More consonant moment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, so he he pulls it off with, and because of that kind of metal delivery, uh, he he pulls it off in a way that divorces it from the great weak spot of the Isis's and Godspeeds of the world, especially Godspeed. Um, and Isis got more and more like this over time, but that kind of excess, that sentimentality or the preciousness, like, wow, this music we're making, it's so fragile, so beautiful, right? <laughs> you don't, like, this This is, is, is not about that at all. Uh, oh, it takes the best of those ideas from those bands and recontextualizes it in a cool way. Um... And uh, now let me punt it over to the death metal guy. <laughs> well, so <clears throat> the thing is, like, this is not unprecedented in Stabat Mater's later work. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of his songs are based uh, based around like single, simple lead lines that keep recurring as a motif, and they tend to. They, you know, they have the melodic quality of a more delicate music, but what it always conveys to me, especially when the within the context of the songs and the albums they appear, is a, a sort of like agonized sorrow. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's sadness, but it's always through pain. It's always through suffering. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, not to get too far off track, we were talking a little bit off air about personal theories about Miko Aspa's interest in music, um, uh, him talking in interviews with about certain projects of his being about obsession. And I think that Stabat Mater, in a large part, is about obsession with a, a very sort of personal suffering. Um, filtered through usually um, stories about the suffering of Christ and the suffering of the Virgin Mary, etc. So whenever you hear a lead line like this, it's never without power because we're talking about things that are like massive and eternal in scope. We're talking about supernatural suffering. We're not talking about a girlfriend leaving you, you know. We're talking about cosmic pain, you know, about, <laughs> about you know, kind cosmic of Cosmic pain, that's yeah. that's your newest that's your new aesthetic. Yeah, cosmic yeah, yeah cosmic yeah. pain. Ev- everyone's, yeah. everyone's talking about fucking cosmic death metal, cosmic black metal, weebly woobly woobly, cosmic pain. Yeah, it's I mean it's it, it kind of gets back to just you know, you know ideas about um, you know just like Velchmerz and uh, sort of like existential suffering but always delivered in this very immediate and really confrontational way Dude, but anyway the third this is, youtube com- the third youtube commenter is literally named Velchmers. for real yeah <laughs> i didn't even see that okay there you go <laughs> all right so i'm a genius yeah uh, so yeah. anyway so after that intro 
this is another long song. Embracing the Slavery is a little over 12 minutes long. So like I said, a lot of these songs throughout Stop at Modern's catalog are actually based around these lead lines, like the one we hear in the intro. So now I'm going to play another long sample, which is how achingly, like six minutes later, we get back to it. Um, and it is, I think, the pivotal climactic moment of the record as a whole. So, I mean, obviously that moment, that drop with those couple measures of feedback, I mean, that is, that's the defining statement of the album. You know, it's, we're about two-thirds, three-quarters into the record as a whole. That is, to me, the moment that the entire record's been building up to, is the return to that little intro lead. And the recontextualization of it after all this ugliness and, like, the the sort of like frustrated repeating dissonant chords leading up to it and then you return to this like beautiful elegiac lead line but now it has this like ugly heavy turn at the end yeah. of the phrase 
Uh, sort of like when I talk about, um, you know, what makes uh, mutilation and mutilation-derived French black metal mm -hmm. bands cool is the idea mm -hmm. of having the beautiful melody that goes sour at the end, mm -hmm. this, like, this inversion of sentiment. Mm -hmm. That's what happens here in a really kind of emotionally powerful way to me. You know, this, uh, you know, th this kind of getting back to the torture doom idea this this final release of humanity that you know we were able to etch out this like fragile beautiful thing and then we work through the the sort of life cycle of this song and it becomes indelibly corrupted at the end by the ugliness you know the the completed version of that riff is the one with the ugly ending you know that's true that's true but um, I think something that's a little bit different from mutilation is that mutilation riffs often kind of the the, the ugly riff hits in a kind of size or vomits, mm -hmm. you know, like like the, or the ugly bit at the end makes the riff kind of sigh or vomit. Yeah, here the like the ugly bit hits with real power, and I was thinking when I listened to this. Like, like, for the mutilation, kind of the ugly bit negates the power of the riff. It's like, help, I'm falling down in the alley, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is the point, right? That, uh, But, yeah. um, I mean, sometimes it just makes it nasty, okay? But, like, often it, like, often it's about, you know, like, yeah, the sort of wasting away or whatever. But um, in here, when he hits those bends... He's also, well, first of all, he's fulfilling something else. He's also calling back the bends in By the Seat of the Sun. Mm -hmm. um, and the frostish riffing that starts that sample. Like, we get the very end of a long frost passage. Uh, and it hits as, like, the fulfillment of the riff. Because when you, you're absolutely right that it completes the riff. Because when, if you just finish that little, that, that the consonant phrase it just drops back down to the root, right? And you can go back and listen to the beginning of the song and hear it as incomplete. But then, like, when he hits the bend, he just drives it forward and makes it crushing. And I was thinking, man, Miko Espa is one of the only people where I, like, hear some really soaring epic thing and I, like, want him to fuck it up at the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, because, because like, you know that it's going it, to... It's a lot of this record, interestingly enough, is kind of based on anticipation. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, he he builds so much tension within these repeated chords, and you you need it psychologically yeah. to end at some point, and it it never it never ends in a nice way. It never ends in the the sort of pat romantic way that a lot of you know sort of romantic funeral doom does these days. It always ends in like an ugly dissonant turn, but that dissonant turn has as much power as a real resolution would. Yeah, I think that's what's important. It's like he plays the beautiful phrase and then he just drives it home, uh, and it doesn't really negate the beauty of what came before. Uh, it mm -hmm. sort of completes it in a cool way, um, and that is, I mean. Granted, he's playing, you know, torture doom or funeral doom, but that is a uh, to do that within a that is also certainly to be able to do that within a single riff is also a value in black metal songwriting, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you could uh, that method applied to black metal songs yields. I'm sure I could find examples yields results uh, in a really cool way, 
but like it's just you know it's like it's another who are we talking about um with um I guess this is something that I've brought up a few times or like been looking for but it was all inspired by the uh Morte Morte and Candacente where the mm-hmm. the triumphant part was the ugly part yeah 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 Right, they would have these sort of quick gestures at consonant melody, all of which sounded like Transylvanian hunger. But then, like the real climax would be like the bong dong bong 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 part. Yeah, um, yeah, that's and, the part where uh, you know you're alive. You know. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here, and and here, uh, it's, it, you know, he it it's. It's not like the melody disharmony simultaneously thing like you get in Swedish black metal riffs or certain Norse ones. Um, it's the, like being able to do that kind of reversal within the riff and have the ugly part at the end make it even even more... Tri- I guess, you know, really, the melodic phrase in itself does not have a it's beautiful it's I, I think elegiac as you said it's sort of mournful um it's it sort of soars upward but it's also a little bit crestfallen right with the way it just drops off at the end at the beginning of the song and oh, yeah. then the thing that makes it sound kind of triumphant is the hideous bend at the end i think it's also worth noting that he's bending the notes upward mm-hmm. yeah it's, and it's, I, th- I think you could fit this. I think you can still fit. I, I'm like, the way I'm pushing it, I think you can still very easily fit into your theological take on the record. Oh, yeah. That, uh, oh, uh, the idea that we were talking about before we started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to, like, put words in the artist's mouth, but I've always gotten this sense that, uh, so Stabat Mater is, if you look at some of the lyrics from, you know, previous Stabat Mater songs uh brutally anti-christian is probably an understatement it is there's something about the way miko aspa writes lyrics that are genuinely troubling you know um Mm -hmm. but the way that sort of like intense hatred and aggression is juxtaposed against some of these melodic ideas makes me think that there's a a strange sort of internal conflict not in the sense that it's like oh that we're dealing with a secret christian but that miko's personal obsession with some of these ideas and images has reached a point where he has some sort of intense philosophical relationship with them oh um well keep going oh no that was that was about it what did you have to say well, you know, so it's like, right, so you've identified a few things in the past as being sort of like Catholic guilt, extreme metal, uh, mm-hmm. and you've you've suggested, I think, and it turns out possibly correctly, that Kakdarak really does have some, like, not not sort of inadvertent or guilty, but just some subtle Christian overtones, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. it, it seems like he's confirmed that. Um, so you're not saying that about this record, but you're saying that by meditating in hatred on the sufferings of Christ and the Virgin Mary, he's done, he's connected to them somehow. Yes, um, yes, there is a personal and, relationship to those ideas. And so that ties into a thing I was thinking earlier, which is that, like, when you hear this record, right, it's not necessarily true on a clandestine Blaze record, but when mm-hmm. you hear this record, you're like, oh, this is the vocalist of Death Spell Omega. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that idea of sort of um 
like sort of furious dialogue with Christianity in a way that is like, uh, you know, um, acknowledging it and sort of actively doing battle with it and trying to turn it against itself in strange ways and celebrating it in this sort of left-hand path way, right? That is mm-hmm. a very DSO thing. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. And so maybe, you know, I mean, like, when, when you hear, like, the real, there's some really good riffs on that last clandestine blaze thing, and you can, you know, you can certainly hear that it's elite black metal, but, like, this is like, oh, this is the guy, but it's also very straight-ahead meat and potatoes in a way that we really liked. Right, mm-hmm. and when you hear this record, it has that gut level punch, even in mo- even at especially in moments like that. But it's also like, oh, this is the guy who who like is is in Death Spell Omega. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, real quick to wrap it up. So the last song, "Theater of Failure," is uh, this is the shortest song on the record. It's uh, only about nine minutes long. And this feels to me like a sort of, like, really ugly coda to the whole thing. Like, the album is sort of complete at the end of Embracing the Slavery. But then we've got this protracted, horrible thing as sort of an epilogue to the record. And Theater of Failure is the track that's, to me, the closest to older Stabat Mater. Um, You've got this... um, It's really rhythmically claustrophobic. The tones are way more blown out than the other songs you know these these textures sort of infiltrate and absorb the negative space of the reverb mm-hmm. um you you understand immediately that this guy has some sort of relationship to noise and power electronics which of course he does even though it doesn't feature any of those elements and i'm starting to think that maybe um early to mid-era god flesh is really important to miko um, both in some of the like really beautiful lead lines you'll hear, uh, as well as uh, I, I'm gonna guess that like selfless is kind of an important record to Miko. I think he understands that on a really deep level. Uh, you know, I mean, way... also, I mean, even the bends you could see having something god fleshy about them. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, it, there's a, something about the way Miko plays guitar for this project and the way he arranges things, especially on this track, the the really dense, like, simultaneous interaction of the drums and guitars leaving these horrible gaps sounds like some of the most extreme moments of early Godflesh oh, to me. Oh, this is the one that has Go Spread Your Wings on it. Yeah, yeah, Selfless has Go Spread Selfless Your Wings. Selfless is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's basically a torture doom song. Yeah, I know this album. <laughs> I, I know this album just through that song because a guy I knew pointed out that you could put it on the jukebox and for a single play get twenty minutes of soul destroying noise that would drive people out of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of soul destroying noise, theater yes. of failure.
That last roof was nasty. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Yeah, it feels like it feels like the album is coming apart under its own weight, you know? Well, yeah, although I think the way you described it led me to exp- expect something that was just more hideous. You know, obviously I forgot exactly how it went. To me, that sounded very coherently heavy throughout. I mean, everything... Every riff just threw into the next one, and oh, it's 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 definitely like heavy and the, coherent. But yeah, go I, ahead. I get I get what you mean that we're in a very different place emotionally from where we were at the uh, at the climax of the record, um, mm-hmm. and that this is sort of some sort of like earthward turn for sure. Um, it's just so like I mean, you can like headbang to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, that thing he did at the end, you 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 said keep rolling it like twice, and what 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 he started doing it was like uh, 
he just did this like freaky psych rock melody and <laughs> then just like like smashed it to bits but even over the smashing riff he starts playing things that sound like sonic youth harmonics like arpeggios over it like it's and and I mean that ties into the Godflesh, I'm sure. Maybe there's shit like that. There I'm sure there's shit oh, yeah, that's there's something a lot. on Godflesh. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, lots of generally a big feeling of like gut level death doom aggression being filtered through a bunch of influences that are like totally in a different universe. Like uh I was telling you at the beginning of that sample it sounded like Melvin's. Like uh <laughs> like Melvin's but good. I hate the Melvins. But like uh like gluey porch treatments or something but like if those ideas had been like drawn out and made heavy instead of like people deliberately crippling riffs to prove their dislike for metalheads um <laughs> it's um it's you know um uh, well we were just arguing about melvin's in the in, in, in our notes um but um but anyway point being like it's that is just I mean, God, that's so... It's just so... I mean, I feel like by a passage like that, I'm just reduced to sounding like I'm 19. You know what I mean? I'm just like, dude, like, the fucking riffs are sick and crushing. <laughs> and the harsh vocals <laughs> provide... <laughs> give a sense of hatred and anguish. <laughs> 